here's another one for you in the little series talking to people who are living on their own during the pandemic. This one is with a friend of mine called Lee and we worked together for a while at the BBC. She's from Australia. Uh, she moved to London and then at the start of last year she moved to San Francisco uh, for a new job just as the pandemic struck. And I've always been really impressed with Lee's very independent spirit. So I wanted to hear how she was getting on in a new country in lockdown. How is it all doing over there? Pretty locked down. Not much doing. Well, are you living on your own? Yeah, but I have roommates, i.e. Frankie. Your dog? Yep. And I also adopted a cat. We've been through an awful lot together this year. We're a happy little threesome now. I see you as a, a sort of a, a globetrotter. You know, you've moved from Australia to London and now to San Francisco. So you're sort of making your way back, back to <laughs> yeah, Australia, maybe yeah. the, long, the long way around. Yes. But <laughs> <laughs> take us back to Australia then. Where are you from and about, you know, your family life there and what that was like? I'm from Campbelltown, which is about 30 miles southwest of Sydney. I kind of think of it a little bit like Milton Keynes. And probably anybody who might listen from Milton Keynes might not thank me for this, but it's kind of nondescript. It's on the way to somewhere else. That's what I say about Campbelltown. And my mum and dad are still there and I miss them more than I can say. And I have two brothers who are both there and they both have children. So they're, they're all still kind of living within sort of 20 minutes drive of each other. You're the one who left home. Right? I'm the black sheep, yep. Why did you decide to up and moved to the UK then? Did you just take a notion? I think it was always bubbling in the background. I was always an Anglophile, mainly because I grew up reading English literature. And that, I think, is where the, my kind of interest in, in England grew. I always wanted to go. Whenever I wrote a list at the beginning of a year, when I'd write a list, and at the top of that list would always be visit the UK, visit the UK. So I booked a flight and decided to go on a holiday to the UK. And on your own? Yeah. I had a couple of contacts, so some lovely people that I met on a train in Australia. <laughs> I, met, I met some English people on a train in Australia going across the Indian. It's called the Indian Pacific, and it goes from Perth to Sydney, which is straight across Australia. It takes three and a half days. And I was doing that trip with my mum and I met this English mother and daughter and they said, oh, if you ever come, you know, you can stay with us. And I just thought, oh, yeah. And you were straight there. I was like, <laughs> nobody says that, right? I'll see you next I'll week. I'll see you next week. But it wasn't until I was actually on the plane that I thought, these people might just be really strange people. What am I getting myself into? Like, and they live in Dorset, and I, where was Dorset? I didn't know where Dorset was. <laughs> so I went for a holiday and then came home. I had a wonderful time on my holiday and then um, decided that that's where I wanted to be and I wanted to give it a go. So I, I left a year later. What did your family think when you decided to move to the UK on your own? 
I remember having the conversation with my mum. My mum was the one that I was most worried about because, you know, I don't know, mothers just, if your mother doesn't approve or sanction something, it still, for me anyway, feels like a, not a good idea. And I said to her, mum, I think I'd quite like to go and live in England for a little while. And I don't know what possessed her to say this, but she said, oh, I think you should. Now, I have a feeling that she was trying to use reverse psychology on me. I think she <laughs> it thought. It didn't work. Yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> exactly. And I remember the day that I was leaving or the day before I was leaving, unfortunately, my, my grandmother, who was alive at the time, had a, had a mini stroke. And we weren't sure about what was going on. And I, and I was, and I just said to mum, I think mum, I should stay. I don't think I should leave you. (laughs) She just said, you are getting on that plane. So they all took me, I remember they all took me to the airport. All the family was there. Goodbyes still aren't easy. They don't get any easier over the years. In fact, sometimes they get harder. Yeah. And I left and it wasn't until a long time later One of my brothers said my mother almost collapsed when I left. I didn't know that at the time. They kept that from me. I think I certainly didn't think about how hard it would be for them. And maybe if I had, I wouldn't have done it. I didn't think about how hard it would be for me. Maybe I wouldn't have done it. (laughs) Well, you did well because you had a very successful career at the BBC where I met you. That's where we met. Yeah. You were producing, you were presenting, you were doing pretty much everything actually. Yeah. And then you decided then you decided you were going to leave, leave again and go, go to San Francisco <laughs> when you'd built up this fantastic career, you're really settled. What made you think about leaving the UK then? It was never in my plans to live in San Francisco. And I, was sent an email uh, by a contact in that that I'd met through producing who said uh we've got a job going in San Francisco and so I interviewed for it and I got it and I just thought I don't know you just can't turn that opportunity down you've made two of these journeys first from Australia to London and then you settled there for a number of years and then from London to San Francisco how does that feel when you're you know making a really big journey a big step in your life on your own which you've done twice now is it a lonely experience or can you handle it all right it is lonely I mean I get frightened and it keeps me awake nights and I think how am I going to cope the kind of hard stuff I thought wouldn't be so hard this time and then we went into lockdown and so actually it ended up being pretty hard much harder I mean moving to San Francisco because of the circumstances has been a lot harder than moving to London ever was. So Australia, UK, USA, which of these places is best for blind people? Oh, my goodness. That's a question and a half. Were you born blind then, Lee? I wasn't born blind, no. I was born without, um, I had, mo- 
I can't remember what it's called, something like micro, microthalmic, which means that I had a very small, ill-formed eye in my right eye. So I couldn't see out of my right eye, but I had good sight in my left eye. And then when I was three and a half or four, the retina in my left eye detached. And um, being a kid, you kind of think that that's normal and you compensate for it. So they didn't pick it up very quickly. And so I was, um, yeah, I had an operation to try and save that sight, but it was unsuccessful. I had a little bit of um, a light and dark. I could see light and dark for a, a couple of years, but nothing useful. So you can recall having sight then? It's re- I think memory's a tricky thing. I think what having sight did for me was it meant that I learned to walk, you know, relatively normally. I think it helped with balance and spatial perception. I don't know if I can remember colours, but I think I can, and that's almost as good. So, you know, maybe if I ever got my sight back again, you know, purple might be green. But, you know, in my head, purple is purple. It's my version of purple. And let's face it, we all perceive colours differently from one another anyway. So I think that there are some concepts that I find easier than some people who, you know, were born without any sight. Growing up, were your family then very protective? I mean, you talked about your mum crying when you left Australia, but she must have been very, very worried. So I presume they were very protective when you were growing up as a child. They were not protective in the sense that I wasn't allowed to do things, but they were protective in the sense that they controlled what they could control, if that makes sense. They taught me to roller skate when I was five got my own bike at the age of nine never forget that my own red bike it was very exciting loved it but and there is a big but having that wonderful sheltered protective loving world around me didn't prepare me for not having that and so when I left school and went to university I realized that the rest of the world would see me as blind. I wasn't used to that. And that took a lot of dealing with for me. What was it you didn't like about that? I just wasn't used to the fact that I was going to have to explain and prove and show my abilities to everybody, every single person that I met. Because whether I like it or not, the first thing that people see is my blindness. Now that may only be fleeting. That may only be, oh, that, that, that woman's blind, but it will be the first thing they see. And so that took a lot of dealing with. And in fact, in one way, that was what helped me make the decision to get a guide dog so that I didn't have to have that conversation with people. You know, it was a visible symbol of blindness and it took the attention away from me and it became it becomes about the dog and in some ways that for me was easier to deal with i know you've got frankie as your dog at the moment but i want to talk i want to reminisce oh let's reminisce about josh about josh now josh was your guide dog when you were at the bbc and he he's, he's josh is still alive but he's retired yeah. now but um he was the most beautiful laid back golden retriever 
And I remember, you know, I used to be sitting at my desk and suddenly from in between my legs, Josh's head would appear just looking up at me. Everybody in Broadcasting House absolutely adored Josh. He was an amazing dog, wasn't he? he? Yeah, absolutely. He was one of a kind, that boy. He still is one of a kind. He's happily living in Suffolk and he's retired. I miss him every day. I love my Frankie. She's a go-getter younger dog who just loves to go and try everything and and that's wonderful and I wouldn't be without her but there was something very very and he was my third dog and I've loved them all but there was something there's something special about that dog yeah everyone could see that there was something very very special something really special about him I'll never forget the phrase Josh Junction because he used to lie in the middle of the floor (laughs) That's right. And everybody have to walk around him because he would walk around. He wouldn't move. And if he had his harness on, he was working yes, in inverted commas. Exactly. <laughs> while lying on the floor. So you couldn't sort of touch him or move him. He was just the most chilled out, laid back, as you say. And uh, I would describe him as very well mannered. That's what I would say He's about Josh. A gentleman. Yes. Yeah. He was a total gentleman. I'm glad he's happily retired. Now he, did, he thoroughly deserved it. He did, but it broke my heart giving him away. You said earlier on when you mentioned colours, you said, if I ever got my sight back again, is that something you think about? No. No, it really isn't. And maybe it's my lack of imagination. I don't know why I don't think about it. There have been maybe a handful of times in my life, maybe even you know, I can count them on one hand, the times of my life where I wish I could see. I mean, I think even though I lost my sight as a child and so I grew up blind, I think that I still grieved for my sight. I went through a grieving process and I went to counselling to deal with it. And I think any grieving process is an ongoing thing. I'm pretty happy in my skin these days, but it's been work to get to that point. Um, would I, if I, if somebody was to say to me, we can give you your sight back tomorrow and it'll be like, you never lost it. Would I take that opportunity? I probably would because that's just my nature. I'd want to know what was to happen next. You know, I'm that kind of curious person like, Oh, how would that change things? You know? If they were to say, we might be able to get your sight back, but it would be an awful lot of work for you to be able for your brain to relearn how to see, I think I would say, nah, you're right. And I know that people who love me, like my family, find that very difficult to hear because they want life to be easier for me or what they perceive as being easier for me. And of course, you know, life is more difficult when you can't see I'm not I'm not glossing over any of that and you know you make more mistakes I think I resent the fact that I have to be more organized because actually it's not in my nature to be more organized but I would be totally dysfunctional if I wasn't but I think I would have to say no I think I would have to say if this is going to be years and years of work with limited function then I think I'll stick with what I've got you don't waking up in the middle of the night and think why me nope not now not now 
sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and, and think, uh, you know, would my life have been different? You know, what would I be doing now if I could see? Would I, would I be single and living alone? I don't know. Maybe I would. Would I have been the kind of adventurous person? Maybe I wouldn't. I, I don't know the answer to, to those, but I don't think why me? No, no. Oh, oh, there's the cat. Come on. Good girl. She likes a cuddle. Oh, she's extremely affectionate. She's more affectionate than the Labrador is. How does the cat get on with the dog? They adore each other. We're a happy little threesome now. So given that there's been a pandemic, I haven't done too badly. It's about trying to put a positive spin on things, but you know, it's not, it's not been easy. And, and I will absolutely say that it's not been easy at all. Don't forget, if you've got a story for me, do get in touch, whether it's about living on your own during the pandemic or just a personal story that you'd like to share on the podcast. You can DM me on Twitter at Devlin underscore JP or you can email me jpdevlin at me.com. And until the next time, I'll see you then. Thank you.